Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series on the Success Insight Podcast. The Outdoor Adventure Series celebrates individuals and families, businesses, and organizations that seek out and promote the exploration of the great outdoors. Our guest today is Danielle Taylor. Danielle is a freelance outdoor adventure and travel journalist and the managing editor of the Journal of Wildlife Photography. Danielle, welcome to the Outdoor Adventure Series on the Success Insight Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So, Danielle, I have to start off by saying I am like incredibly, incredibly envious of all the traveling you get to do. (laughs) So if you need anybody to kind of hold your bag, you just let me know, okay? (laughs) I will let you know. I'm very privileged to have gotten to explore as much of the country and the world as I have and love that that has been part of my career. Fantastic. And we're definitely going to dive into this because I imagine it's a very interesting story. However, what I'd love if you would do initially for our guests and for me is provide a little bit of a background about your upbringing. I mean, I know you're out in, in Pennsylvania. How did you eventually get into this outdoor adventure, photography, writing space? Because I'm sure it's a very interesting story. Sure. Like you said, I live in Western Pennsylvania right now, more rural area than a lot of people across the country. And my extended family is all from here. Both of my parents grew up here in Western Pennsylvania. I now live with my fiance and he's about an hour and a half from where my parents grew up and where we still have a family homestead and a lot of extended family. But I actually grew up in North Carolina. My father followed a job down to Raleigh, North Carolina. And so, you know, I grew up going to school there and spending the majority of my year in Raleigh, but I was often coming up multiple times a year to rural Western Pennsylvania to spend time with my extended family. I kind of got the best of both worlds. I went to school in downtown Raleigh, but we lived outside the city limits, actually right on the edge of a state recreation area. And that was the reservoir for the city of Raleigh, a lake there. And so that was within walking distance. And a lot of times I'd cut through the woods and just go and spend time at the lake, just, you know, sitting there and absorbing the peace of being just alone in the woods. That's pretty cool. So you actually had the outdoor adventure aspect in your life just as a matter of location. Yeah, I was very fortunate in that sense. And then whenever our family would come up here to Western Pennsylvania multiple times a year, my grandparents actually had a home with 118 acres that we inherited after they passed away. Wow. So I I really had room to explore that was like private land, but also a lot of really great parks and public lands both near my home in North Carolina and my family up here. So I've personally gotten to benefit a lot from that. That kind of developed my passions both for travel and the outdoors. And as I was growing up, my best subject in school was always English. And I always got the most motivation out of writing. And also, initially, I was editing a lot of my friends' papers. Kind of combining both of those things into a career was what I decided I wanted to do whenever I was in high school and looking towards college. Did you make any money as a side hustle editing your friends' papers? I don't think so. Oh, 
You just gave it away? You gave it away? I, oh, man. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. I think I was so delighted that they were asking me that I was happy to help. But in general, I think I'm happy to help people with things that they need. So they helped me with other things, and that's how I helped them. <laughs> okay. I'm not judging here. I'm not judging here. I'm just thinking, oh, my God, this is a good opportunity, a little bit of a side hustle. And, you know, what would have paid for your college? Oh, oh, yeah, not at all. I have never been the best at making money. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, something I I think I can appreciate that, too. (laughs) Let me ask you a question about the family farm and, you know, where your grandparents and that land. At the time, was it considered like a dark sky area where the skies are really dark? The stars are just kind of jumping out at you. What was it like? It still is. And that's actually something I've written about in the past, both for Blue Ridge Outdoors magazine, as well as for our local visitors bureau in that area. If you look at a light pollution map of the eastern United States or the world, you'll see that there's a big pocket in kind of northwestern, north central Pennsylvania that's among the darkest skies east of the Mississippi. And my family's home up here is right inside that. There's nowhere better to watch for shooting stars. That's something I look forward to doing every year and just sleeping out under the stars in the open and just appreciating my tiny spot in the universe. You know, I I am like so incredibly appreciative of what you shared. I'm also a little envious, but I moved out to Las Vegas last year. And one of the first things I did was just get out to the desert. Oh, yeah. And as a photographer myself, well, that's the area of interest that I have. Uh, is dark sky photography, specifically the Milky Way. It's just like, I'm thinking, okay, now how do I get up to Danielle's family home (laughs) and camp out? I can bring my, I can sleep in my car and just, we'll talk afterwards. I have done exactly that many, many, many times and you're welcome anytime. We've got room for you. (laughs) Fantastic. You know, I was noticing in one of the pages, I believe it was on your personal page, your journal page, is there's a picture of you. I think it just had your feet in socks, but you were like, you looked like you were literally laying down in the car. I think I know the picture you're talking about. That was, I want to say the Wasatch Range in Utah. That was in the middle of a, I want to say it was a two month road trip from Pennsylvania out to Utah and back to Pennsylvania. I had my Subaru at that point, and I can't count the number of nights I've spent in that car road tripping and exploring and working from the road and traveling on assignment and getting motivation for new stories with my travels. And that's one of my my primary motivators in life. <laughs> I think that is so fantastic. I really do. And when you went to school, you graduated high school, you go to college. Did you major in, in literature, writing? What were the majors? So I went to the University of Maryland. That was about five hours away from where I grew up and fortunately also about five hours away from where the family is in Western Pennsylvania. So really central and convenient for me. And that's the home of the Philip Merrill College of Journalism. I started out as a magazine journalism major. And my first semester, we did intro to journalism where we sat back and pondered deep questions like, is the Daily Show real news? So we spent a semester doing that. And then my second semester, the only journalism course that they offered the second semester freshman was history of journalism. And so I'm sitting there at the end of my freshman year and I'm like, I'm a quarter of the way through my college education and I've learned nothing about writing. Fortunately, the journalism program there is excellent. And the next three years were 
jam-packed full of learning how to write, but I knew that I wanted to be a very technically proficient writer. I wanted to get the grammar right. I wanted to be as effective in my messaging as I could be. I figured a good way to augment what I was getting in the journalism program was adding an English major. And so I did that. Since I, you know, I'd known since I was about 16, the sort of stuff that I wanted to focus on, the outdoors and nature and conservation and the world and the environment, the closest thing that my university offered to that, or at least, you know, what I thought at the time was a geography major, specifically a human geography major that studies how people interact with their environments wherever they are around the world. So beginning of my junior year, I added that as my third major. With those all together, I ended up being at school for five years, but I graduated with those three majors in two degrees. And I do not recommend that other people take that same path. If you're going to be, you know, at school for a fifth year and going full time the whole way through, you might as well get a master's degree because some jobs will pay you a little bit more. But I am very glad for the education that I got. And it definitely prepared me for the work that I do today. Sounds fantastic. Now, when you graduated, what were the first let's say, quote unquote, J-O-Bs that you had? (laughs) Um, So I graduated in the middle of global economic meltdown. (laughs) It's a good time for that. Yeah, I graduated with my Bachelor of Arts degree in magazine journalism and English in December 08, and then my Bachelor of Science degree in human geography in May 09, which, you know, the Great Recession. And so here I was thinking like, okay, you know, I've got two degrees, three majors and four internships at decent places under my belt. I was thinking that I was going to be well set to have a job lined up before graduation. That wasn't the case. Maybe that's a little bit of hubris, but I ended up, well, the first thing I did was I, I took my first solo big road trip across the country that summer because I had like $3,000 saved up. I figured I'd be going into a career where I'd get two weeks of vacation a year for, you know, who knew how long. And, you know, when was I going to have an opportunity like this again? So I borrowed my dad's pickup truck. Me and my dog just drove out west and wandered around out there for a month, sleeping in the back of the pickup truck every night. Nice, nice. Came back, worked at the grocery store where I'd worked in high school for a couple months and nannied for the kids of a hockey player. But then I got my first like journalism job out of college. And that was with Homebuyer Publications, where I was an assistant editor for Log Home Living, Timber Home Living, Country's Best Cabins, and Energy Efficient Homes magazines. And I was there for, I believe, about two and a half years. Wow. Would you say that, I mean, it's crystal clear that you've always had this outdoor adventure bug in you very clear about that. And as you have also shared, you get these college degrees and then circumstances align that, okay, this is going to be difficult because now we're in this global recession. Last year, we're in COVID-19, et cetera. As you began to get the job experience, do the writing, working for the publications, how did your trajectory perhaps adapt to you know, this is a nice job, two and a half years, but it's not really what's going to make me happy. How did that start to evolve for you? Specifically, the whole time I was going through college and everything, the two publications that I had my eye on were National Geographic and Outside Magazine. I was initially applying for jobs at places like those and places that were very close to my personal mission statement, if you want to say. As I was applying for jobs, they I wasn't getting callbacks. And so, you know, you kind of broaden your your scope for what you apply for. 
I remember my cover letter for the job where I got with those log and timber home magazines. I said in right in the cover letter, I like I know very little about construction, but I can understand all the reasons why somebody would want to live in a little log cabin in the woods. So I can identify with your audience and connect in that way and be useful to your team in that way. You know, and that was definitely true. And that was part of the motivation for me as I was writing throughout the two and a half years of that job. However, I was also writing a whole lot of articles about like how to pick the perfect kitchen backsplash for the space behind your sink and, you know, pick the perfect kitchen faucet and stuff you need to know about curing concrete and that sort of thing, which I was not particularly interesting to me, but I also didn't get a lot of fulfillment out of writing for an audience that was largely wealthy and had second homes. I really wanted to do the outdoor thing that had always been my goal. So whenever I saw a job open at the National Recreation and Park Association for an associate editor, which was my position at the time that I applied, I had been promoted from assistant editor. I snatched that up and I uh, moved to that. And I was there for three years before switching to freelancing full time. Nice. Tell us more about the Parks and Recreation. The National Recreation and Park Association is the professional organization for people who work in parks and recreation. Mostly, or at least while I was there, most of our members were working for park and rec departments, unlike the municipal to the state level. Our focus wasn't as much on national parks, but I think since I've left, that has become more of a focus for the association. We put out a monthly magazine about 80 something pages. And a lot of times we had supplementary stuff. We put out that monthly magazine. I remember by the time I left, I think our readership or our membership was about 50,000 members. When I started, I was the junior person on a three person editorial team, which was a great place for me because I was still very much in a early learning stage of my career. As kind of things changed with the team, I was promoted to senior editor and then executive editor and was running it for a while. And that was a fulfilling job in many ways, but a very, very challenging job in a lot of ways, not least of which for quite a while I was working 100 hours a week. Oh, my. Oh yeah, my. that that is a recipe for burnout, <laughs> regardless of how much you identify with the mission. Almost definitely that. Was this aspect of the job, not only the work, but the hours, was that one of the kind of compelling reasons where you decided to like, you know, I'm getting good at this. I'm confident of what I have to offer that you decided to jump into the self-employed realm. Well, let me back up a little bit. So before I graduated from college, I had started freelancing. My first internship was for a firefighting magazine based in North Carolina in Raleigh. So I could go home with my with my folks that first summer and work from there. So after I left, I, I kept freelancing for that publication. However, I hadn't met any like full-time freelancers until I was working at the Log and Timber Home magazines. And I went on some press trips and met some people that were like traveling and writing full-time and making that their, you know, their full-time income. Wow. That really was very appealing to me, <laughs> but I really thought that I was not going to be able to make that work on a practical level, um, probably until I was married and had the stability of a second income and health insurance (laughs) benefits and stuff from a second person at home. But yeah, you know, at the time that things, you know, that I left NRPA, you know, I'm like, I'm 29 years old. I was single. I wasn't paying a mortgage. I didn't have kids. I'm like, you know, this is the time to make this sort of thing happen. And that's what I did. Wow. 
Well, I definitely want to talk more about that. But you mentioned writing for the firefighting genre. And as I understand it, you actually used to be a firefighter. Once upon a time. (laughs) Yeah. So when I was in college, actually, one of my friends from North Carolina, who's in my homeroom through high school, he moved up to the same area at three miles away from where I live to move into this fire station, you know, where they had this live-in program where people who wanted to be professional firefighters, they could move into a volunteer station like this and volunteer. Sorry, my dog just stepped up. Go away, Meadow. That's okay. I mean, dogs are a part of the show. What's your dog's name? This is Meadow. Meadow. What kind of dog is Meadow? Uh, We think she's a mountain feist, which is an Appalachian squirrel dog, but um, she... She's kind of a mutt. <laughs> okay. Now you realize now that Meadow is a part of the show, we have to have a picture of you and Meadow you in the guys. great outdoors. <laughs> She's adorable. You, you, I can definitely do that. All right. That's good. We, uh, that's a very important Pic- pictures and getting our listeners comfortable with our guests. That's very important and pets, no doubt. So when you started to really jump into the freelance circuit, where were some of the first adventures you went on? Whenever I was working for the Log and Timber Home magazines, I went on this one press trip that was just for the county south of us and, you know, learned about some of the the outdoor things there. And I, I was very fortunate with the magazines I was writing about. We had a lot of nitty gritty content about the nuts and bolts of owning a log home, but we also wrote some destination pieces that hopefully would inspire readers if they knew where they wanted to build their log home. Or I should say, if they didn't know where they wanted to build their log home, but they knew they wanted one, hopefully we could give them some inspiration for places they might want to consider. That started out with a a press trip to just Prince William County in Virginia. And then from there, I wrote I want to say I went to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and Pocahontas County, West Virginia, writing for those magazines, and got to come across some interesting things there. If you didn't know, there's a roadkill cook-off every September in Marlinton, West Virginia. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just had a guest on recently. I met him at the Wisconsin Outdoor Communicators Association, Dan Small. He yeah. might be at, you know Dan? Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. Oh, oh unbelievable. And So Dan was chatting about cooking and more exotic, Mm -hmm. shall I say, wildlife. I mean, I grew up in an urban setting and I think he had like beaver in the slow cooker. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God. But in any case, so I I can imagine the roadkill cook-off. Where were some of the most exotic places you've been to since, you know, you can, every, every assignment is another assignment that's building to your base of expertise, your comfort as a writer, uh, an outdoor enthusiast. As that has progressed, where are some of the more exotic places you've been and able to travel, produce content, and really share it with the audience? Well, the first one that comes to mind is a place that a lot of people would not consider exotic, but I I think it's one of the most special corners of the United States, southwestern South Dakota. When I was working at Parks and Recreation magazine, I had an opportunity to interview the governor of South Dakota and a guy named Dennis Dogard, I think is how you pronounce his last name. And so, you know, whenever I went out to interview him, I think I spent actually two weeks exploring South Dakota, some different parks across like the northern part. Well, man, I think I, I went to southeastern, northeastern, and then southwestern parts of South Dakota and just, you know, spent two weeks driving around. And one of the things I got to do while I was there was the annual Buffalo Roundup at Custer State Park. And so Custer State Park, it's 
pretty close to the Black Hill or is in the Black Hills, I guess, and Mount Rushmore, Crazy Horse Memorial. It's a state park that is on par with a lot of the national parks that I've been to. And one thing that they do every year, they have, uh, I want to say it's about 2,000 head of bison. And every year, because they have to keep the numbers at a sustainable level for the park, they have cowboys and cowgirls go out on horses and round up all the bison. You know, they corral them into corrals and they they count them. They do pregnancy tests on the females. They, I guess, you know, count the calves. I want to say they give inoculations to the calves as well. And, you know, this is just kind of an annual census that they do on their on their bison. I had the really incredible opportunity to go out in a chase vehicle, just riding in the back of a truck during the middle of the roundup. And so this is something that was, you know, just kind of a necessary part of the state park's annual operations. And it turned into a tourism event. And so as I came around this hillside where I've been chasing after these bison for a while, you know, there's this big hill that's got like 10,000 people standing on it. And I had the incredible opportunity to be <laughs> bouncing around in the back of a pickup truck in the middle of the bison herd. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's another picture I want to see. I know you can. You got it. All right. All right. <laughs> With this work that you're doing, I know you and I just met because, and as you've alluded to, you're a member of the Outdoor Writers Association of America. Yes. Uh, I joined them, I want to say, uh, at the start of the year, and they've been a huge source of guests for me on the Outdoor Adventure series, Excellent. which I am incredibly grateful for. When you began, and I know you just joined it, how did you get involved with the outdoor adventure and wildlife photography? Next to working for National Geographic, that sounds like a pretty cool job. So I have not been here for very long, but this is an excellent job. I am very, very, very happy to be doing it. And it's a direct result of my involvement with the Outdoor Writers Association of America. I actually joined that organization 10 years ago this month. And I was still at the Log and Timber Home magazines then. And so most of the stuff I was writing was about kitchen faucets and backsplashes and <laughs> that sort of thing. Of course, yeah. But, you know, I did have enough outdoor clips that I applied and qualified to become an active member in the Outdoor Writers Association of America. And that's been the single best thing that's happened in my career. Created new opportunities. Yeah, yeah, it really has. I wouldn't know Jared, who's my boss, Jared Lloyd. He's the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Wildlife Photography. He founded it and ran it by himself for, I want to say, two years before this animal grew into you know a huge thing. And he started developing a staff. I know him through OWAA. I'm also working on a guidebook right now, uh, Hiking Waterfalls in Maryland. And I secured that contract through my connection I made at an Outdoor Writers Association of America conference. You know, if any of your listeners are interested in a career in outdoor journalism, outdoor communications, you know, anything of the type, I, I highly encourage them to check out the Outdoor Writers Association of America because it's been the single best thing I could have done for my career. Definitely that. I I, I recommend that to a lot of the folks. I, I've been part of my other hat that I wear or another hat is besides being a podcaster is I'm also a a coach, do a lot of career development, career transition coaching, and come across a lot of uh, journalists. And because the in Chicago, the, the I think it was the Tribune just did a huge, massive layoff of not only the journalists, but also the photography staff, right. which my, I have a friend, Linda, uh, who's 
fantastic, but you know, it's like Linda join the OWAA because that and anybody else that I'm that I'm coaching is if they're if they're a writer, this is the organization that's going to help you create new opportunities. I love it. It's coming up on its hundred year anniversary of its founding. Having that kind of a history means there's kind of this generational institutional knowledge. Like you mentioned Dan Small, and you know, he's somebody who's been a member, I believe, for decades. He is somebody that people like me who are still in the first half of their career can learn so incredibly much from. <laughs> I joke with other members like, you know, man, Christine Peterson, she's the the president right now and she's only a few years older than me. But man, I want to be like her when I grow up. <laughs> she writes for Outdoor Life and National Geographic. And she used to be the managing editor of, I want to say it's the Casper Star Tribune out in Wyoming she's always going on off-grid adventures with her husband and her daughter and her dog. And, you know, she's just somebody who I really look up to, both as an outdoor journalist and just a, you know, a human who's <laughs> managing her life very well. And, and there's a lot of people like that in the organization that I have a lot of respect for. And they create great examples for people like me and, you know, those who will come after me to emulate and look up to as we build our careers. You know, I love that you know, in the sentiment, not only to appreciate the the history and, and the institutional knowledge, but also to, you know, you're actually laying the seeds for your ability to, to coach and mentor others as they begin to decide what they want to do and hopefully take advantage of their writing as well. Tell us a little bit about your adventure website. My freelance website is adventureeditorial.com. I initially built that website just to have an online portfolio for my clips whenever I was applying for other jobs. In 2015, whenever I switched to freelancing full-time, I wanted to create a, a business, a freelance business, and, and have it have a name. Since the work I was doing was both writing and editing, and I was looking for something that kind of captured the outdoor recreation, conservation, public lands, and travel focus that I wanted to be doing. I thought Adventure Editorial kind of captured that. So it's always pretty much been the home of my portfolio so I could connect with editors and show off clips so that they could see the kind of work that I've done and you know whether they wanted to work with me. It's got my resume on there and a little bit about me and just some stuff like that. It's something that I, I badly always need to update. <laughs> I think right now the last clip that I have on there is from spring of last year. It's a pretty standard thing for journalists of all types, but particularly freelancers to have a website like that where they can kind of showcase their work so that they can work with other editors. Fantastic. We will definitely provide the backlinks to the Adventure Editorial website. We'll also provide you know the backlinks to the Journal of Wildlife Photography. Danielle, before we head out, I've got two questions. The first one, you're just a kid, okay? Let's just put it that way. Okay, yep. I'm probably twice as old as you are. Well, may maybe. No, maybe. I, I doubt that. But no? Okay. No, see, I just look good for my there age. You go. that's there you go. Okay. As you look back in your career, I mean, there's a lot of breadcrumbs that I can kind of see. I mean, and you really have had the writing the outdoor in your blood, but is there any other insights that you have derived from this journey you've been on and perhaps how it's informing what you're going to be doing in the future? 
I would say that the arc of my career so far has taught me a lot about myself, what I'm willing to put up with and what I'm not, what motivates me to do my best and what just has me kind of, you know, trudging through the day to day. Also, what I feel confident doing independently, whether that's travel or, you know, going after an assignment or whatever, just you should go for it. You should reach for the stars and sometimes you'll get a hit. Very good. Well, truly appreciate that. And and thank you for sharing that. Before we head out, I mean, what you just shared is huge insight, but any final, say a book, a video, another artist that you'd like to share with our audience? One book that I read in college that I think it just, man, it really, you know, captures kind of what this whole thing is all about. Yvonne Chouinard, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name right. It's French-Canadian. He is the founder of Patagonia, the outdoor apparel company. And he started out as a as a dirtbag rock climber and was making, you know, rock climbing equipment to it just, you know, with a forge and, you know, an anvil to feed his passion in life, which was climbing. And he was realizing that the products that he was making, which were industry standard, were damaging the rock, literally chipping away at the natural features that made it possible for him to do the stuff that he, you know, innately felt in his soul he was here to do. He completely redeveloped the rock climbing equipment it used to be these things called pitons and you'd actually hammer them in and then like chisel them out of the rock and rock faces would be losing all kinds of handholds and, you know, you'd literally be chipping rock away. And he developed chocks that you could kind of wedge in and then, you know, wedge back out. And so you'd be able to ascend without leaving any aspect of your passing as you climbed. He goes into this and he built his whole business on that. He took a real risk. That was his bread and butter was this initial type of equipment. He flipped it around and developed Patagonia based on those same principles. That company, you know, still operates on that. He went through that mentality and that process in a book that he wrote called Let My People Go Surfing. And so anybody who is interested in any aspect of the outdoor industry, outdoor writing, outdoor communications, or business, you know, even if it has nothing to do with the outdoor industry, I highly encourage them to read that book. Fantastic. Well, we will definitely provide a link back to Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne uh, Schonard, however you pronounce the name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I apologize if I have messed that up. And I do appreciate Patagonia. They have a, a huge presence, you know, out in the community, especially those who believe in conservation and taking care of not only nature, the environment, but also people in general. And so I, I truly appreciate that. Danielle, uh, before we head out, just uh, one final share of how can people learn more about you and your work? Sure. My website is adventureeditorial.com. There's information on there for how you can contact me. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm not as active on those as I should be. But if you look up Adventure Editorial on Facebook or my Twitter handle is just Adventure Edit, you can reach me either of those ways or you can now reach me at editor at journalofwildlifephotography.com. You can also get in touch with me on LinkedIn. I think on there, it's just Danielle R. Taylor. I encourage your readers to, if if they're interested in wildlife photography or do any wildlife photography, check out the Journal of Wildlife Photography group on Facebook and check out the publication as well. It's a really high quality publication. I'm delighted to be part of the team. 
fantastic. Well, we will most certainly provide all of the backlinks, adventure editorial, your social sites, as well as the website Journal of Wildlife Photography. I, I do believe I'm following the Facebook page because I mean, it's some of the imagery is just like unbelievable. And I just bought a new lens for my camera and I can't wait to take it out to Vermont for our OWAA conference. I, I joined the, I signed up for the birding class. And so I'm hoping to take advantage of that with that lens. So can't wait, <laughs> but it, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Outdoor Adventure Series on the Success Insight Podcast. And thank you for taking time out of your, which I know is going to be a very busy day because you had a lot going on. <laughs> but thank you once again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Excellent. Excellent. All right, folks. We have just been chatting with Danielle Taylor. She's been our guest on the Outdoor Adventure Series on the Success Insight Podcast. Danielle, again, is a freelance outdoor adventure and travel journalist and now the managing editor of the Journal of Wildlife Photography. Do check out Danielle on her website, adventureeditorial.com. We'll also provide links back to her social sites on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'll also provide the backlink to the Journal of Wildlife Photography. Folks, it's episodes like this that reaffirm that why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I love having these interviews and really uh, an interview about a topic that I'm very passionate about. And, and it's just it's getting out to the great outdoors and so many places, whether it's here in the U.S. or across the globe, there's an opportunity not only to you know, learn about yourselves, what you're willing to lean into, but also you've got culture, you have people, you have the environment, you have my other passion, which is food, but just lots of opportunities to, to really appreciate what we have available to us. What better reason that we then become better stewards of our environment and really not only take care of it, the animals, but also the people as well. All boats rise when the tide comes in, folks. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can find us on successinsightpodcast.com. You can find us on our Facebook and LinkedIn pages, Success Insight Podcast. We would love for you to leave a like or a comment, which you thought of uh, today's episode with Danielle or any of our other episodes. You can find us on the podcasting platforms, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and especially Spotify where we have our Outdoor Adventure Series playlist. Okay, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day. Take care of yourselves, your family, practice social distancing, if it makes sense, wear your mask, if it makes sense. But above all, take care of yourselves, your loved ones, and the community. Okay, we'll see you on the next episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series on the Success Insight Podcast. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.